Hi friends, my name is Christian Kuhn. I'm the pastor of Emerging Ministries at Urban Village Church. I'm also the pastor at River Forest United Methodist Church. My pronouns are he, him, and his. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day in the church when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world, and we also consider it kind of our birthday as the church universal. It's also a day where we invite people to think about wearing red or orange or yellow as a way to commemorate that. And so as I thought about what I might wear, I remembered I had this particular shirt. It's one that I received when I ran a race a few years ago, and I thought, this is perfect. But then as the week has gone along, and we read about and saw the images of George Floyd and the responses to that murder, and I thought about this shirt some more, I remembered that black is an important part of this shirt too, which makes it even more appropriate on this particular Pentecost Sunday. We end our sermon series called Now What? Of course, originally, when we talked about this sermon series, and as we've reflected on the last couple of weeks, it was a question that we thought about in response to the COVID-19 virus. As we live into this new normal and try to wrap our heads around how do we live in this time of social distancing, we ask ourselves the question, now what do we do? It's one of the reasons why I added verse 37 onto the passage today, because the followers of Jesus literally asked that question. After the Holy Spirit has come into the world, now what do we do? But again, after we read about George Floyd and thought about not just him, but others who time and time again, we have seen and heard black child of God after black child of God killed by police or in police custody. And so we keep asking the question, Eric Garner, now what do we do? Sandra Bland, now what do we do? Lacan McDonald, now what do we do? Amon Arbery, now what do we do? And it keeps happening over and over again, and we keep asking the questions. And so today, this question that we've used in our sermon series is appropriate for us to consider one more time and begin to address this question in the face of all that's gone on this week, now what do we do? As the fires rage across the country, the fires of Pentecost demand that we listen to the language that God is speaking to us today. So let's take a look at this passage. Or better yet, let's take a wider look at what we are seeing and reading about here today. I want to look both at the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts, because most scholars believe the same person who wrote both of those books, or the, that one person wrote both of those books, and so that question, now what do we do? That question no doubt was asked by the followers of Jesus in the days leading up to his crucifixion and as they watched him be crucified, now what do we do? But then after the resurrection, this glorious news and they're somewhat confounded by this change of events. And so they asked themselves, well, now what do we do? And then as we get into the book of Acts, last week, some churches celebrated what's called Ascension Day, Ascension Sunday. At the beginning, in chapter 1, there's a story of Jesus ascending into the heaven. And as his followers are there looking up into the skies, a voice comes down and essentially says to them, Why are you looking up in the clouds? It's time to get to work. And so Jesus' followers begin to descend the mountain, no doubt asking themselves the question, Now what do we do? And so today I want to focus on two individuals in these passages, particularly one from Acts 1 
and one from the story that we read today from Acts 2. I want to focus on these two individuals because I think they were probably asking that same question, now what do we do? But then I'd like to think they were also asking another question, a question that I want all of us to consider today as well. How do I respond? So the first individual is somebody that we don't specifically see in the text here. And in fact, I want to engage in some midrash. I've been reading this really powerful book by Dr. Will Gaffney called Womanist Midrash. And she talks about the practice of midrash often done by our Jewish friends. And she says this, in rabbinic thinking, each letter and the spaces between the letters are available for interpretive work. And so we look at the passage, we look at the scriptures, and we begin to ask questions. We begin to wrestle with it. We begin to use our holy imaginations and wondering what if, who isn't listed here? Who isn't mentioned? So I want to engage in some midrash here in these passages. And so in the first, the first individual I want to take a look at comes from Acts 1. I noted earlier that Jesus' followers, after seeing Jesus ascend into the heavens, they're coming down this mountain, and they're headed off to Jerusalem. As chapter one continues on, it lists the specific disciples, but then it, it says something really interesting in verse 14, and I want to read that for you. It says, all these, being the disciples, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. I want then you to imagine with me a certain woman, someone who's mentioned here. I think the author is trying to remind readers that it's not just the band of 11, the ones, the names perhaps that we know as Jesus' disciples. Instead, it's a much wider circle of people who are Jesus' disciples, again, as well as certain women. So imagine one of these women who is walking down this mountain and she's asking herself the question, now what do I do? Now what do I do? But then she offers another question or thinks of another question. And that is, how do I respond? How do I respond to this shift in what I wasn't expecting? But now how do I respond? The text tells us that this group of people were committed to prayer, constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And so maybe... Maybe this woman, when she asks herself, now what can I do? What can I offer? How can I respond? Maybe she says to herself, I can pray. A few years ago, Urban Village did a sermon series about thoughts and prayers. And in some ways, when people in our society, when something tragic happens and they throw out the you know, urine or thoughts and prayers phrase, that doesn't do much good. It's kind of a banal statement. And so we unpacked that. And there's some truth to that. Sometimes when people just throw that phrase out there, but they're not committed to responding in any way. In fact, they may say, you're in my thoughts and prayers, but they don't think of nor pray for you. But I also want us to know that there is a certain power in prayer. And it's important for us to not lose sight of that. A couple of days ago, I watched this online worship led by Tyler Sitt. Some of you may know Tyler. He was a church planting resident at Urban Village a few years ago, and I was blessed to be able to supervise him. Tyler went from Chicago to plant a church in Minneapolis called New City Church. And in fact, his church is located in the neighborhood where George Floyd was, was killed. 
And so they led this online worship and Tyler invited other African-American leaders to all participate in this, in this time of worship together. And one thing that Tyler said that struck me was he talked about the need for all of us to have inward transformation. And I think that applies perhaps differently for all of us. Because one thing that I noticed, the black leaders who were on this call all were using a certain language and certain words like overwhelmed. I have no words. I'm numb. There's a sense of deja vu. There's a sense that this keeps happening over and over again. And you can tell how much they were hurting. And so as I thought about that, I realized that the people on the call and all of our black siblings, they need that kind of inner transformation that could come about through prayer. And not just themselves praying for themselves, but for us to pray for, to listen to, to love and to nurture them too. And so I want for us to be able to think about how we might do that. I actually preached a different sermon earlier in the week. And as the week went along and as a staff, we were talking about, are we doing enough in response to what's going on? I shared my original sermon with a couple of people I trust a lot at Urban Village, Darren Calhoun, the worship leader at South Loop site, and Grant Crusor, who used to be on staff at Urban Village and who attends our Hyde Park Woodlawn site. And I shared the sermons with them and really invited their responses to it. And Grant said something in response to what I had originally preached that really st struck me. And I want to read that uh, for you. He wrote, For the people of color listening on Sunday, specifically black people, many are at a point of feeling like we've done all we can do. The last thing I want is to hear how I need to keep trying to solve a problem I didn't create nor seem to have the power over centuries to solve fully. And that struck me. The need for inner transformation that prayer can bring about, but not just for our black siblings, but for all of us too. And for some of us, we need that inner transformation of prayer because the work doesn't stop with prayer. Prayer is definitely needed. We need to follow the example of this woman as she came down from the mountain. But prayer is just the beginning. We need that inner transformation, as Tyler said in that online worship. We need that inner transformation to do the outward work that needs to be done. And then that takes us to the second person I want to focus on here today. And that is Peter. Now we may all know Peter, certainly the disciple who may have been Jesus' right-hand man. Peter is at a point with all that's going on that we read about in the beginning of the book of chapter two of Acts. Let me remind you what's happening here. Again, suddenly from heaven, there came the sound like the rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. A tongue rested on each of them. Everyone was able to speak in other languages. Everything was being turned upside down. And so, because, especially those who are not followers of Jesus, but even those who were, they're asking themselves, what's going on here? And we're able to understand one another in new ways. And so in the midst of all of this turmoil, people think that the followers of Jesus are drunk. And so they're saying, what's going on? And so for Peter, maybe Peter is asking himself the question, now what do I do? How can I respond? And maybe in that moment, he realizes, I can use my voice. And he begins to do so. 
Now, at first we might think, well, Peter's done this before. He does it in Acts chapter one. He does it in certain ways throughout the gospels. But we remember too, that in Jesus' last days, when Jesus was being led to his death, and Peter had the opportunity to speak up, to say, I know this man, and he didn't. He denied knowing him. His voice failed him at that moment. But as we begin to read in the book of Acts, Peter begins to reclaim his voice. And so we see here today when Peter decides, I can use my voice, and he begins to interpret what's going on here. And he paints this amazing vision, saying that sons and daughters will be able to prophesy, that the young and old will be able to dream dreams. Peter finds his voice, and that's how he can respond. In light of everything that's been going on this week, and if we ask ourselves the question, now what do we do? How can I respond? I hope that you begin to answer that question by saying, I can use my voice. I have a voice. And I want to share with you perhaps three different ways that you can do just that. First of all, begin to learn a language. We see here that the Holy Spirit can help us to do just that. Languages that we didn't think we'd be able to understand. And by that, I don't necessarily mean learning Spanish or Polish. But instead, I want all of us to begin to learn and relearn and continue to learn the language of anti-racism. This has been a journey that Urban Village has started the last few years. We have nowhere near the point where we can say that we are fluent in that language. We are just starting out. And so we at Urban Village have a place where you can go and begin to read books and watch videos. And on our website, urbanvillagechurch.org slash resources, you can go there to begin that process. The potential fifth site at Urban Village, the members of the launch team and a couple of people from River Forest United Methodist have all signed up for something, uh, led an organization in Oak Park called Race Conscious Dialogues and have all committed to doing that this summer. At Urban Village too, we do uh, caucusing and opportunities for people to gather together in brave spaces, white people and people of color as well. So there are opportunities for all of us to begin to learn and continue to learn that language. And that's one way to help us to develop our voice. But it has to go just beyond reading books. That's important. But we have to keep on going from there and use our voice. Here's another way that you can do that. Some of you have heard us talk about it, Urban Village, an organization called GAPA. So I want you to think about and go, toward, go to chicagogapa.org because we have here, friends, in Chicago, we have the opportunity, there's something going on, we have the opportunity to improve Chicago's police practices and we have the opportunity to transform the relationship between the Chicago Police Department and the communities that the department serves. It's called GAPA, which is short for the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability. It's a coalition of many grassroots organizations throughout the city that have come together to work on this project. Urban Village is a part of Community Renewal Society, CRS, which some of you have heard of. We've been part of CRS for many years. I'm a part of an organization called Business and Professional People for the Public Interest. I'm on their board. They also have been involved with GAPA as well to begin this process. How can we 
here in Chicago transform how our police relates to our city and how it changes its practices. Go to chicagogapa.org. Talk to myself, talk to Pastor Hannah, who's on the CRS board, talk to any of our staff members about how you can get engaged and learn more about this process. They've been making really great progress, but it's slowed in recent weeks. And we need to make sure that we're holding people in power accountable so that this process continues and we can come up with an agreement. And then finally, the third thing, I want you to think about another website, and that's this one, blackownedchicago.com. Friends, the language of our pocketbooks also speaks volumes. And I realize that there are some of us in our community who have been hit hard by COVID-19. It's hard for them to think about how they can use uh, their funds. But if you're in a place where you have some choice in how you spend your money, and where it goes and to whom it goes. Think very carefully about that. Go to Black-Owned Chicago. Businesses of cover, color have been hit particularly hard by this virus. And so how we use our money, how we use our pocketbooks, and the kinds of businesses that we support can also be a powerful way that we use our voices as well. And so I hope you'll begin, like Peter, to ask yourselves the question, now what do I do? What can I contribute? How can I respond? I can use my voice and I can use it in many different ways. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This passage tells me that the Spirit speaks very clearly in the midst of unrest. The Spirit speaks very clearly when things are being shaken up. The Spirit speaks very clearly when the world is being turned upside down. The Spirit speaks in the midst of winds and fire. The Spirit spoke then, and the Spirit still is speaking to each of us today. It has a response whenever we say, now what? And so friends, I ask you, are you ready to listen? Are you willing to ask, how can I respond? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to learn new languages and speak truth and care for our black siblings? Are we ready to ask that question so that when we say, now what? It's not done out of exasperation or hopelessness, but instead we say, now what? And that means a glimmer of hope. It means a spark of expectation. And it means the rush of justice so that we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit and that Pentecost will come again. Amen.